Hello and welcome to JLGB Virtual We Are Live. As part of JLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to the government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched JLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform and entertain young people so that they can have some fun, learn new skills and make a difference. Sessions include skills like magic, upcycling and coding. Physical activities and the focus of this podcast series, interviews with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds, including famous actors, social entrepreneurs, government ministers and many more. These interviews are run by young people like myself. So if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for Judge BHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is Dame Julia Cleverdon, the co-founder of Step Up to Serve, of which we are proud members of. Sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. But now, tonight's inspirational guest, Dame Julia Cleverdon, served for 16 years as Chief Executive of Business in the Community before going on to become its Vice President and being named one of the 50 most influential women in Britain by the Times. She later served as Special Advisor to the Prince's Charities and focused her efforts on disadvantaged communities and has spent her life promoting collaboration among senior leaders from business, government, education and community organisations to build a more robust civil society. Dame Julia holds many leadership roles in many charities aiming to transform education and opportunities for young people. She was chair of Teach First from 2006 to 2014 and is now their vice patron. She was appointed to chair the National Literacy Trust in 2013, is a deputy chair of the Fair Education Alliance and a board member of the National Citizen Service, a programme all of us at JLGB are very proud to be a part of. But we know her best as the co-founder and trustee of Step Up to Serve, which organises the hashtag I Will campaign. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's very, very special guest, Dame Julia Cleverdon. Welcome, Dame Julia. How are you? And what have you been doing to keep yourself busy during lockdown? Very much indeed. What a terrible roll call of far too many things. Um, I've been socially isolated, I suppose. My daughters say I'm firmly, I'm to uh, stay at home, I'm not to shop. I'm, I was 69 when we went into lockdown, but alas, I became 70 as it went through. Uh, but I, it's been really fascinating to see the worst of the most terrible things happening across the world and in Britain and the very best of communities and kindness and people coming together and the incredible bravery and courage of the NHS and the carers. So it's been in a way a extraordinary moment to reflect on life and what matters and I'm very honoured and privileged to be part of this evening's conversation. We're very honoured and privileged to have you here with us and a happy birthday as well. 
Um, so we are really, really pleased to have you here on our Jalgi Virtual Programme tonight. We've been boosting positivity and keeping children and their families active and healthy for eight weeks now since lockdown began, with the help of a special guest joining us each evening. Why was it important for you to join and support JLGB tonight? Well, because when I set up the I Will campaign, which was to try to see how in Britain we could be more effective at supporting young people giving them voice, giving them experience of making things happen in society, in the community. I looked around to see who was doing great innovative stuff, which was replicable. And I found Neil Martin and the Jewish Lazar Girls. So from that moment, I have been absolutely passionate about what you achieve, the way you do it, the flexibility, innovation, and yet continuity that you have managed to build. And if I really want to be annoying, I say to the Christians, now, if you were doing this, we'd be doing much better. It goes down very, very badly. But I think you have brought so much, both to your faith and to your schools and to your young people. Uh, and you've always been at the forefront for me of how you have a combination of a, you know, two different ways of changing the world. You change the world by uh, a cafeteria where you plunge messages down crushing the grains underneath and it makes very strong coffee but you also change the world by a percolator which bubbles it up and I think what you do is a very clever combination of bubbling it up so this is entirely as I understand it youth led youth hosted young people take leadership and responsibility for making things happen but there is a sort of framework and a cafeteria around it about what we do and how we do it. So I think that's one of the best ways of doing things. Well, thank you so much for that. That's really, really nice. Um, so we are all about acts of kindness here at JLGB, which is something close to your heart. Um, you've spent a large portion of your life working with hundreds of charities and businesses, making the world a better place for young people. But is there anything specific uh, in terms of acts of kindness that you personally have been doing to help others during this lockdown? <laughs> well, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, from my faith, um, I <laughs> discovered myself as the church warden of a church in King's Cross uh, called the Church of the Holy Cross, where, like you, like everybody, we were locked down, shut the church, shut the synagogue, shut the mosque. And I suppose the thing that I have been struggling most with is how to get the slightly aged congregation of the Church of the Holy Cross online, on Zoom, on the right number, every Sunday morning and Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I can't say my technological skills, according to my daughters, are anything like what they need to be. But actually, in terms of acts of kindness, talking through 90-year-olds on no, now find the little blue line and press that. There you are, you see, now we can see you. So an act of kindness sometimes is about trying to push the skills that you haven't really got to try to help somebody else do something they want to do. So that's been the regular act of kindness on Wednesdays and Sundays. That's amazing. So we had we were lucky enough, we had a 96-year-old war veteran on here a few weeks ago, which to find a 96-year-old 
person who is still able to use Zoom <laughs> and speakers and a microphone was absolutely fantastic and we were so privileged to have them with us. Good. How marvellous. <laughs> no. And that's where young people's ability to get the Silver Surfers stuff going seems to me to be so important. I mean, I chair the National Literacy Trust and one of the loveliest things they've done in in the development of all the work they've been doing is because we're very keen on helping young people to communicate and to write letters and to debate and all the rest of it. They've invented a marvellous program called Write to Your New Friend in the Care Homes. So large numbers of primary schools as part of their, you know, trying to run online lessons are now getting letters into old people in care homes who must be feeling pretty isolated, pretty frightened, and pretty cut off from young people. So uh, that's one of the things I've been most enthusiastic about during this this time on how do you bridge the generations at such a lockdown moment? 100% like communication between the generation that I'm in and older generations is so so important now especially with how are you and because we can't see each other so having that relationship is fantastic. So talking about young people looking back on your early life your father was a producer for the BBC radio and your mother also worked for the BBC. How did having such a creative household impact you uh, growing up? <laughs> um, well, I suppose it isn't until later that you realise the, the different worlds that all of us come from, what was perfectly normal for one family was not perfectly normal for another. So I suppose it's only really as I've got older that I've realised that my mother was an absolute literary encyclopedia. She adored Victorian children's novels and she read them all the time. So the whole of my life was about mum, you know, urging me into all sorts of extraordinary children's books. And my father was driven by work. He was more passionate about the importance of being a radio producer uh, in the BBC and he got Dylan Thomas to write under Milk Wood and he dealt with all sorts of incredible poets and writers and musicians and so I suppose growing up made me realize what if you can really enjoy the work you do then actually that's not work that's just absolutely such such a joy and such an opportunity and he was passionate about his work and my mum who'd had a very very difficult time having a family she had I think nine pregnancies before I was born and lost them all and so I was m much waited for therefore very spoiled I have no doubt uh, but it was a very very happy childhood with books and people and lots of entertainment and and a lovely school called the Hampton Gurney School down in Marble Arch, which I went to on the bus, age six. Absolutely extraordinary. Wow. Um, well, there's a row in the family as to whether it was six. My mother said it was eight, but I think I, you know, in those okay. days, it all seemed much easier, simpler, smaller, less frightening, you know. Definitely. So that was my childhood. I think, like you said, being driven to get reach a goal and enjoying that that need and that want to get 
to that goal is so so important especially now while we're in lockdown it keeps you positive and it gives you something to strive for so where did you first get the drive and the passion to develop your desire to help others into a habit why has service to your country and community always been so important to you well, I suppose after Hamden Gurney in Marble Arch, I went on to Camden School for Girls in the Camden Road. And the motto was onwards and upwards. And the bus conductors used to shout every morning on Camden, onwards and upwards, Camden, we don't want you on the bottom deck. And that somehow sort of drove the argument that you would go onwards and upwards. You would not stand still. And that was a great school. And that's why I believe so much in teachers and education and the power of schools to make the difference and I suppose it was there really that I first came across an incredible body of uh, of teachers who changed one's mindset on all sorts of things when I was on Desert Island Discs a few years ago which was a very funny experience um, I chose Lara's theme out of Dr Zhivago and uh, the nice interviewer said, why have you chosen that? And I said, well, because every time I hear a Lara's theme, I think of being taught about the Russian Revolution by Miss MacDonald. And Miss MacDonald, we were there on the streets of Moscow with her, watching it, wearing black velvet bands around the bottom of our coats. And her ability to paint what was going on and to ask us to think about what life would have been like in that was just absolutely outstanding and I said so Lara's theme for me is a hymn to teachers and what great teachers do so I suppose setting goals trying to move forward trying to make a difference to society was probably mainly influenced by Canva School for Girls and that got me going on all sorts of things which then went on into the rest of my life. I can definitely say teachers do make such a massive difference. I've had so many teachers now, I'm currently in year 12, and some of them have been absolute dreams. They've helped me so, so much. And some of my friends, like we can all say that a great teacher has such, a, such an impact and they provide that stable person, an adult in your life that you can speak to about anything. It is absolutely fantastic. And that, that motto that you have of onwards and upwards is, is fantastic. It's just exactly what you need. So, um, after studying at Cambridge, how did you first get to work within the non-profit sector in your career? Well, I suppose I'm a great believer, just as JLGB is, about the importance of taking leadership opportunities from actually quite an early age. I think the I Will campaign, we're now pretty clear that actually the earlier you start getting involved in your community, acts of kindness in primary, caring about what's going on, getting your voice out there about what you think should happen. I think it starts quite early. But if I'm thinking about my time at university, which was fantastic, some of my greatest girlfriends, Julia uh, Schwab, as she was then, Julia Neuberg now, uh, was one of my great girlfriends at uh, Newnham College, Cambridge. I was the president of the JCR and she was the, uh, oh, she, I think she was the secretary and the treasurer. So we were great buddies together. And when we were standing for office, I said to Julia, right, what are you going to, what do you believe in? And she said, 
I think we should have a decent laundrette in Newnham College, Cambridge, because at that moment there weren't any washing machines. And I said, I think we should have compulsory bicycle classes. And she said, why compulsory bicycle classes? And I said, because I was standing on Sidgwick Roundabout in Cambridge when a very nice, very inexperienced bicyclist who was a geographer at Newnham wobbled off her bicycle and under the path of a lorry and was killed. And in a way, that moment for me was the sort of moment in which one said, how had we allowed people to wobble about on their bicycles in, and you know, she lived in Howell, she'd tiny village, she'd never bicycled in anything as full as Cambridge. How had we not thought that we should be encouraging people to take a bicycle class before they get into that world? And that was the first time I sort of remember thinking, we could do something about this. We could make this better. We could honour her memory and help to make sure that other people aren't killed. So that was, uh, Julia and I did a lot of great work together at Newnham. And that rather got us going on, how do you change the world? What do you do to make a difference? Yeah, those steps, like you've got to start small. If you yeah. want to change the world, you do, you do it in steps. I yeah. can't say that I've changed the world yet, but trying in steps. And oh, every year at LGB, we're all trying. We're taking those steps. So like I said, at JLGB, we've got junior units, which are for really, really young children. And tonight watching, we've got some young children as well. So it's absolutely amazing for them because they're getting involved with the acts of kindness and all of that at such a young age that it will become part of them. And that's because it's so, so important. So you were the chief executive of business in the community before becoming its vice president. Can you tell us a little bit about its mission and purpose and what it aimed to achieve? Well, when I came out of Cambridge, long time before then, I was 23, I went to work at British Leyland Swindon Body and Assembly Plant, which is probably not a car company that any of you will ever have heard of because it was the most hopeless car company in the world. And it employed 33,000 people on one site in Swindon. And I was the most junior industrial relations officer and the only woman, as far as I remember. And I learned so much about leadership, communication, the running of very large organizations. And I became very fascinated about business and how you ran business and how you involved people and how you got the best from them and all of those things. And that fueled my interest in people, leadership, organizations so I went on through an organization called the Industrial Society which did a massive amount of industrial relations and leadership training and then in the 80s I was running all the work to do with young people disadvantaged unemployed they just had you may remember Mrs Thatcher was in in those days none of you were born but she drove a great uh, a great view about how to run society and that caused in some ways a massive series of youth unemployment spikes which then resulted in rats in Brixton and in Toxteth and in Nottingham and in Bristol and I was trying to see what could we do to help young unemployed people and I fear that this terrible global pandemic is going to cause as we know a pretty massive recession which pray god will not go on 
for too long, but it will have an effect on young people. So I'm very aware of the importance of, of that whole relationship between employers, business and young people. So I moved at the end of the 80s into running business in the community where the Prince of Wales was the uh, president and was very, very involved in, in what could he do to get involved, particularly in the relationship between business and their community. What was businesses' responsibility to the communities around them? And so over 17, 18 years or so, I had the most fascinating time developing the membership of business in the community, so 800 or so companies, committed to seeing what they could do to improve their impact on society. And companies influence society because they employ, so their workplace, they have an impact on the environment, so climate change, they have a lot to do with influencing customers, so in their marketplace, and of course in their community. So I learned a lot, we did some interesting things, we got some great leadership around particular key social issues which you you know at times you think oh well governments do everything don't they but actually you can do a hell of a lot if you can get leaders from the private sector from civil society from young people to work collaboratively together on particular issues you can help to make a real a real difference so i suppose that was where my passion came from in saying that it isn't all about what governments do, it's about what all of us do. That will make the difference. 100%, I couldn't agree more. So, well, hopefully the impacts of this lockdown won't be too bad for the youth of today, especially with the encouragement JLGB and so many others are providing for the youth leaders and people. So in November 2013, which with Brexit and coronavirus may seem like a lifetime ago, you worked with Prince Charles to persuade party leaders to unite in support of youth social action and you launched the Step Up to Serve and I Rule campaign. We will of course talk about those campaigns shortly but how did it feel in that moment to have cross-party backing of Cameron, Miliband, Clegg and the support of the future King? Does it get any better than that in terms of support? Well, uh, funny enough, at the point of a gun my poor team at the I Will team know I'm attempting to write 8,000 words by next Wednesday on what we've learned. So I have been rather thinking about this, partly in preparation for this evening, but also because I've got to do that chapter. I suppose the truth was, as ever, um, uh, chance favours the prepared mind. So I never, I never believed that it would happen like that, but just in a way the stars aligned at that moment. And it began interestingly, actually, because the Prince of Wales, who made a speech in 1975 in the House of Lords, his, I think, first and only speech to the House of Lords, about the importance of getting young people involved in their communities. And that was the passion that he had. He believed that young people could make an enormous difference and he had, as he would be saying, uh, been banging on about this for a very long time, from 1975 until, I suppose, about 2011, where we would had a Labour government from 97 till 2010. And then in had come Mr Cameron, 
and the Labour government had made a lot of uh, good work about citizenship and citizenship education and they'd set up an organization called V Inspired and they too had been trying to support young people volunteering and then as usual in came the next different politics and they had said no we're not doing that anymore we're going to start something completely different we're now going to start national citizen service which was Mr Cameron's big idea and I think the Prince of Wales was anxious to make sure that we didn't forget what we'd learned in the previous 20 years, but we built on it. And so he had asked for a convening of various party leaders and party government experts on the whole subject, plus some great young uh, leaders and some youth organisations. And as a result of that, that was what actually triggered uh, the Prime Minister to ask me and a great girlfriend of mine, Amanda Jordan, to do a review about what was going on in the involvement of young people in society. And that was what then meant that with the Prince of Wales having convened the original meeting, if it was an all-party operation, which was really going to say that up until 2020, who was to know that we were going to be crashing through all sorts of crises for the world, whether that was COVID or Brexit or a pretty major austerity uh, influence in Britain. So it's been, a, it's been an interesting seven years to run a campaign, but there's no doubt that we have held the political agreement and right the way through, uh, they have not unpicked each other's programmes, which is generally what goes wrong on these things. Well, certainly it definitely worked. Um, <laughs> and because you said, young people are the future and personally the v inspired award is absolutely amazing i'm proud to say that i've got my v100 and many many of my friends have got their ncs they've completed ncs as well which is absolutely fantastic which is all thanks to the backing that you had yeah so jlgb encouraging that is yeah. encouraging jlgb have been supporting uh, step up to serve since the beginning and i've had a series of i will ambassadors many of whom are with us and watching this evening can you, tell, can you tell us a little bit more about the I Will campaign and its principles of youth social action? Well, I suppose we, uh, did we know what we were setting off when we stood in Buckingham Palace at that great gathering of 50 young people and all the party leaders? No, I, my view in life generally is you need to set a big goal which transforms sends all the political argy-bargies between natural life organisations saying you've stolen my money, uh, we did this, not you. You need a big goal to say what can all of us achieve together. So I think we said that by 2020 we believe that 60% of all young people should be regularly and meaningfully involved in their community. And the thing I think was important to do is we held the government's feet to the flames that every year we would measure it on the same basis. We would not flit about changing the bloody measurement tag, which is normally what happens. So we can see now over seven years where it's got to, where we haven't managed to achieve the goal, where the continuing challenges are, which are generally in the poorer communities where 
the schools are not necessarily able to do as much as they might want to do, where the pressures are greater, where some youth organizations find it much more difficult to run their services. But we can also, so we can see at some places where it hasn't achieved what we wanted it to achieve. But we've seen some big breakthroughs in areas that, you know, I didn't believe we'd make happen. And interestingly, two of the areas have been supported and funded by Trevor Pears, who's been a very great friend to the youth sector over the last few years. And it was the Pears Foundation that have done the really innovative work in helping to open up the health service. Amazing now as we look at the importance of the health service and those who work in it. But interestingly, when we began, the average age of volunteers in the health service was, I don't know, 73 or something. And very few young people were actually enabled and encouraged to be involved in the health service. And what's exciting for me as the campaign begins to put its closing um, measures together for the end of the year is that we can now see that for the next 10 years, the NHS strategy has a commitment to the involvement of young people in the health service as volunteers. And that was absolutely not there when we began in 2013. There were many reasons why it was all too difficult and so on and so forth. Now, we're not absolutely there yet, but at least we've got a commitment for it. And much of that is to do with the absolute determination by Trevor Pears and his team that this was going to, going to happen. So we set out to make a difference on a very wide front. And if you, as ever, try to go, you know, very, very wide, it's difficult to make sure that you've achieved everything we set out to achieve. I knew we wouldn't. But I think we've, we've learned a lot now for your generation to now take this on, set the goals for the I Will campaign 2020 to 2030. Where will you take it? The oldies now need to stand back and just hand it to the I Will ambassadors and say, you just make this happen now. Definitely. The Pears Foundation, as you mentioned, funds Kosher Duke of Edinburgh, which yeah. I can say that I've participated in so, so many people. The numbers, they've been doing surveys recently, and the numbers are so, so high, the amount of people that are benefiting from the Pears Foundation. And certainly the younger people watching tonight and that are involved with the youth organisation, the amount of people that are, um, that are volunteering and are involved with the society will hopefully be going up soon. Um, and as you mentioned, the health service, we have been clapping outside our houses every Thursday, but only as a result of the pandemic, doctors, nurses, and frontline care workers who are finally getting the recognition that they truly, truly deserve. And I personally don't think that we can show enough gratitude to what they've done for us. But yeah. do you think that the roles that charities play in civil society generally and right now during this crisis are really understood by the government? Well, this comes back to whether sectors understand the enormous importance of other sectors. Um, I think, interestingly, uh, the charity sector has had a tougher time than I thought it was going to have in getting some of the support that they need. And I've been much involved with 
the great national organization called NCBO, which is the sort of umbrella um, support to the charity sector. And very early on in the, in the lockdown, they could see that all charities would lose something like four billion pounds in four months from not being able to run the marathon, get the gala dinner, and, and, and. And that point was strongly, strongly made into the Treasury and into Rishi and into anybody who would listen. And Diana Barron, who you had on last week, was a, a great advocate. And in the end, 750 million is supposedly coming out. It's coming out rather slowly. And some charities, even quite major ones, are saying if we don't get some money soon, you know, we will we will run out of cash. So I don't think it's been as perhaps as well understood in the government machine as I expected it to be. It's been amazing to see the response of the philanthropists, you know, Esme Fairburn, some of the big charitable organizations have poured money out to keep smaller charities going through the time. But I think when we get through it, there will be a real opportunity to review what have we learnt, what can we do better, and that will be an important part of, of the recovery. Definitely, and as you said, we spoke to um, Baroness Diana Barron last week, and she spoke as well as you about the importance of the youth now. Yeah. So do you think that support for charities and youth organisations, more of it will come? And are you concerned, as NCBO have pleaded, that it's not happening fast enough? I mean, we are in completely uncharted water. So, you know, you read the Twitter and you say, oh, they're being very mean, you know, it's very difficult to do. But of course, that is what we elect governments to do, is to manage through some of the most appallingly challenging issues. And I think we will come out of this with some, you know, I believe this will change a lot of what we and what we thought, the point you make so strongly. Actually, it's the frontline workers, very often those paid the least, whether in the supermarkets or in the uh, cleaners in the Royal Free, they have been absolutely vital to keeping Britain going. Uh, and the behaviour of some senior business leaders throwing their toys out the pram about their planes or their masks or their whatevers, have not been an edifying sight when we're in trouble. So I think that it will change a lot. I think it's in the hands of your generation to make sure that we don't forget what we've learned. And the acts of kindness and the uh, preparedness to look after putting people at risk while you so, so do, what families have learned about being together day in day out in some cases with great schooling coming online and great jlgb doing great stuff for you but in other cases i i work every month in blackpool which is one of the i think maybe one of the most marvelous places but it's also one of the poorest places in britain and we're right down the bottom of the maslow hierarchy there in the little school that i'm very devoted to in blackpool where Actually, they've got 450 families 
and we are busily delivering, they are busily delivering food parcels. There is no food. The voucher system hasn't worked. So I think we will learn a lot about the need for communities working together and pulling together and the need for kindness and decency and trust and generosity, uh, which I hope will, whatever faith anybody is from, I hope will, will change Britain and will change other parts of the world as well. I think regardless of what faith you are, and this situation is affecting everyone equally, and this is the time that everyone is, and thank God everyone is coming together and realising the sense of community. And the frontline workers are working way too hard and too strong-willed for us to truly comprehend just how much time and effort they've put in. And I, like I said before, I still don't think that we can thank them enough. Mm. Um, and I know lots and lots of schools are still unable to do online lessons. I'm lucky enough to have these lessons. Some of my friends still don't have their lessons. So like, it's all so, so important, like you said. So now we are going to ask the audience for some questions. So you guys very patiently have been sitting watching <laughs> and I'm sure some of you have some questions for our very special guest tonight. So I will hand over to our Voices of God and they will come raise your hand, put your hand up on the call or wave at the camera and we'll come and find you so you can ask your question. <laughs> Does anyone have a question? Just pop your hand up if you do. I'm not sure we do right now, Jamie, if you want to carry on. That's all right, we can carry on. If you guys do have some questions, then make sure you just let us know and we can come back to you in a few minutes. So. Hi there, Jamie. I believe the first question comes from Emily. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Emily. So my question is, um, like, you've done a lo loads of amazing work for like huge amounts of charities and organisations. What would you say your proudest achievement is? Oh goodness. Um, uh, well, you're going to have uh, Brett Bigdorts on on Thursday, uh, and he was the individual who got Teach First going and I was privileged to chair Teach First with him for um, seven, eight years. So, you know, lying on my deathbed, looking back over my life, what will I be proud of having achieved? Actually, if the truth were really known, I'd be proud mostly of my darling daughters, uh, because I think um, in general, that's, that's the legacy that you leave for society is, is your young people that you've done your best to love and care for. So I'd be very, very proud of them. I'd be proud of Teach First, which I think has persuaded many more uh, great young people to come into teaching, which as you have already said, I think is so important. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, the actual model of how they came into teaching has now been uh, replicated for social workers with a great program called Frontline, for um, prison officers with a program called Unlock. And my daughter, who is one of the youngest superintendents in the Met, uh, with a colleague of hers, helped to get a great program called Police Now going, which takes young leaders directly into policing. And 
so for me in a way the things i'm proud of are where we've really managed to change a system where something which wasn't uh good enough has has become much better and i think we need real energy and talent into the public services uh to join such an important task that they have got and it hasn't always been the first choice of what young graduates and others think is important to do so i'm i'm proud of that i would be proud of inspiring a generation to come first into public service before they go on into if they want to need to into other sectors and roles so i'd be proud of that okay um so just for everyone else on the call if you have a question then type it in the chat and we will try and answer get as many of them answered as we can um if we have time at the end so now i believe we have a question for you from sam hi uh you you mentioned um the prince of wales prince charles uh, what was it like to work with him and and support his charities and also i suppose you've, you've done so much work together would you would you consider him a friend um well yes i I've, I've known and worked with the prince of wales over quite a long time uh particularly with his charities where i ran business in the community uh but was close up to the work that he cares passionately about which is the prince's trust and all the work that he has led over 40 years having founded it to try to inspire young people and to support them at tough times in their lives i think the prince of wales will uh would probably not mind me saying that he is a he is so unbelievably committed to what he can do for this country for communities in this country particularly for those uh who've had a tough time of it you know you slightly believe that princes in apparent palaces would care more about the fine things of life in art and music and so on and he is a he's a great polymath he loves uh all those things but in my time with him at business in the community he spent more time trying to support getting businesses to back what we could do about homeless people or what we could do to help communities that were in trouble he and i had a very interesting five years where we were working in burnley which is a northern mill town burslem which is one of the stoke on trent towns redcar middlesbrough and then after the rats in tottenham we did a lot of work together in tottenham and he is a he is absolutely passionate about what he can do to convene to engage and he has a memory like an elephant so he has an ability to say what did you do jenna about that letter i sent you some six weeks ago after i'd sat next to the man who was doing such an interesting piece of work on homelessness in los angeles or something and you think oh my god what did i do about homelessness in los angeles he has a very very great ability to remember innovative clever initiatives that uh, charities or communities have taken so it's not always easy working for him because his memory is certainly better than mine but he's he's very 
forgiving and encouraging on anything that we have managed to achieve. Great, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for that question, Sam. And now we have a question for you from Gabby. Hiya. Hi, Gabby. So, as, well, as well as many other accolades, you are named the Times 50 Most Influential Women in Britain. Um, so I was wondering, what does it mean to be a positive role model for young girls in Britain? And what more still needs to be done to raise aspirations for women and create a world where all genders, ethnicities, ethnic minorities and those with disabilities all have equal opportunities? Great question, Gabby. Great <laughs> question, Gabby. Um, I mean, I think I've been through the full cycle of some of those issues because in 1980, I started I, I started a course for women uh, and Cosmopolitan magazine rang me up and said, would I turn it into a course for their readers? And I began that course. It was called Change Your Life One Saturday. And it was about trying to encourage girls, women, setting out in the working world to, uh, at that time, I thought the challenge was that the enemy was in our own heads and that we needed to practice to be more confident, more assertive, ask for what we believe was the right thing to do. And I thought it was all about us. So I hurled myself into the 80s, into... What do you do to support women themselves to grow better? And then in the 90s, I went to business in the community and got very interested in pulling together some companies who'd been very good at change management, who really managed to change things, and said to them, I'm beginning to believe that actually this isn't just about getting girls and women to be more competent. It's about things that happen in the working world which actually don't give the best opportunities to women. What do you do to change businesses? And a great group of rather impressive, some of the male leaders and one or two female came together and said, if you're really gonna change your business, you've got to get absolutely unerring driven leadership at the top. You've got to set goals and targets about what you want to see happen. And you've got to have model measures for middle managers to make sure that that middle management layer doesn't find reasons as to why it's not going to do what it's being asked to do. And me and Elspeth Howe, who is the most lovely woman who uh, married to one of the Tory cabinets, actually, um, Jeffrey Howe, she and I came together and set up a campaign called the Opportunity 2000 campaign. And that got companies and civil service departments to put their goals and targets into the public domain to identify the leader at the most senior level who would make this happen and to measure and report on a regular basis. Now that campaign started in 1991 we changed its name from the Opportunity 2000 campaign to the Opportunity Now campaign in 1999, as we realised we were not going to achieve the goal. And as far as I know, we're still dripping on arguing about have we got women up the, up the pipe into more senior roles. And 
So you're in fact asking that question to somebody who spent 40 years trying to move this dial. Now on the women's end, I do now believe that we are in sight of some greater equity. And one of the most important things actually has been something the government did, which was to put in, in the end, the pay reviews to show whether pay was equal or not. And that has been an important stick to, to beat everybody with. But until we get um, more uh, greater fairness, on the way in which women's careers are managed and until women themselves uh, where you by and large define what success means to you and some people look up the trouser-legged organization and think I just don't want to be number one in this job why would I want to go and run that sort of life I don't want to do it which is why I think so many women do so well starting their own businesses and running it as they want to do. I'm much more worried about the race equality. And it is amazing to me that the disability work is so far back in comparison when you think of how long we have been making these points. So for me, I think the gender thing is on the way. I think the race thing is not anything like as good as it should be. And that is, uh, that needs much more attention in organizations and in communities than it is getting. I'm just about to sit, or I am sitting on a new, um, an important new uh, foundation called the Youth Futures Foundation, which is going to help, we hope, those young unemployed people as we come into this recession and my worry is that 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 youth unemployment will focus on those who are probably coming from the poorest communities have been in the schools that have not been able to help them get the results that they need to be able to survive and thrive and may well be in some poor white communities, but certainly poor black communities will, will cop a lot of the challenges and we have got to focus and really work intensively on that. So great question, but you know, the mantle moves to you. You, you now have got to speak up what you believe in, keep driving on these issues and help to pull others through as you go up the line. I'll try. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gabby, for that. Now we have somebody who has benefited very largely from your amazing work. One of the amazing I Will ambassadors, Luke Levine, has a question for you. Luke, hi. How lovely to see you. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, Luke. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Thank you. I'm doing really well. Um, so my question for you is how has technology changed in the charity sector during your career and do you think that it has an even greater role to play in the future of the big society especially as it's been a lifeline during the pandemic yeah well it's a great question and uh, thank heavens you are the generation that is really going to to max it I mean I you know I remember 
40 years back, no computers, everything typed on old manual typewriters, everything, no photocopiers, you know, I've been right the way through the entire gamut and I cling on just about by my fingers to the technology that uh, uh, you all take absolutely for, uh, for granted. And I think one's seen amazing impact of technology in all sorts of things that one didn't believe we were going to be able to, to hack. And I suppose, you know, eight weeks and by and large, the vast majority of uh, the commercial, charitable, technical world is running entirely now on Zoom conferences or Google Hangout or Microsoft Team or whatever it happens to be. But I'm interested in some of the other sorts of technological breakthroughs off the social media, whether that's um, flash mobs in the park or whether it's ability to find mentors anywhere in a community who want to make more difference. I mean, you have been a very great trailblazer as an organization in what you've done uh, on the matching and the technological um, value of finding ways to connect people. Uh, I still, you know, I think as one sits eight weeks talking into a, talking into a screen, uh, there are plus points about face to face and seeing the, you know, I can see six of you. I'd love to see many more. Uh, I think it won't take away the excitement and the fun of face to face, which will be, uh, I think, is always part of humanity and communication. But I think the technological possibilities uh, are just immense now. And I think this terrible crisis will speed it all up. Uh, lots and lots of people ring me up and say, extraordinary, we've been trying to get people online in the police or this skills operation or in the health service or to do it different. Uh, and my great line has always been, don't let this appalling crisis go to waste. This can change things faster than you'd believe possible. And I think one can see in the way in which the NHS has, has done the most incredible job to pivot on a pin to do things different. Uh, we've got to hold on to the ability to, to change things and to use technology to make life better. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Thank you so much for answering and thanks for being on here tonight. It's been great to talk to you. Now, tell, just tell me about you before I turn the tables on you. How did you get to be an I Will ambassador? Um, through my volunteer work with JLGB um, and stuff that I was doing with them when I was a teenager, um, which actually, I, being with the I Will campaign, I was one of the first years that, was, uh, that they had ambassadors. And actually, um, I still work with the I Will campaign quite a lot and keep in touch with them and take all of the opportunities. It's really, it's definitely shaped my early adult life. Great. Well, you know, what we're going to do as we come now to the end of Step Up to Serve, I think what we're going to say to the I Will ambassadors, right, here you are, have the brand, take it away, make it happen. Yeah, uh, definitely. The old codgers have done quite enough. We can now thank <laughs> heavens. 
handy yeah, for a so great much. new generation. <laughs> well done, Luke. <laughs> so, like, Luke is just one of the many I will ambassadors that we have at JLGB, and we're so lucky for all the work that they put in and just how helpful they've been for us. Good. So now we have a question from Keely. Um, hi, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, my question is, is there any project or campaign you are asked to support which you wish you knew more about before you started? And what lesson has this taught you? <laughs> um, well, because I am an enthusiast, and I love enthusiasm, and my greatest besetting sin is a failure to engage brain before opening mouth, I'm always landing myself <laughs> in situations that I think, how the hell did I manage to say yes to going to speak to the Women's Institute in Cumbria on a Friday night about climate change? How did this happen? And when I think about how it happened, it was somebody who was so enthusiastic and passionate about the cause that somehow one thought, I must do everything I possibly can to help her or him, generally her, I have to say. So, yes, I've certainly got myself into situations uh, because I probably am always swept away by another campaigner. I adore people who want to change the world. I adore people who can find reasons as to why things should be different. And in a way, as you get older, you think, well, if I could do anything at all to urge them on, support them, find them a bit of money, get this to happen, I should, I should do that. So in general, uh, it's, it is a, it's a fault of over-enthusiasm and over-belief that uh, you can achieve lots and lots and lots of different things. And of course you can, you never need to mind about who takes the credit. Doesn't matter in the least if the junior minister wishes to claim that they invented this fantastic new idea which has caused homeless people to get into work. You say, how brilliant you are. The fact that actually you might possibly have been able to do a little bit of machinating behind the scenes, never mind about that, because in the end the world will be changed. So yes, you've, you've absolutely identified my besetting sin. I'm a very great enthusiast. And uh, I hope you are too. I, most of those I meet in uh, Jewish lads and girls appear to be believe that the world can be changed, and it can be. Thank you. That's so encouraging and so <laughs> fantastic to hear that our enthusiasm is really going to shape the future with people like you. Thank you. Well, the, the great line I always take is that enthusiasm is knowledge on fire. You've got to understand the issues you're in. You can't just make it up. You've got to have at least three pretty compelling bullet points, stats, whatever it is. But if you are enthusiastic enough about it and never give up, it won't happen immediately, generally, but it will happen in the longer run. You just have to live quite a long time to see things improving a bit. You know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think as Key was saying, one thing that is so amazing that JLGB do is give you these skills to be more encouraging and to be very focused on the goal that you personally want to achieve. Um, I'm sure Keely can vouch for that and I personally can as well. Um, so now we also have a question from Josh. Hi. Um, Hi so Josh. NCS is 
program of which TLGB has been a proud provider for the last few years. Um, as with many of our programs, we were quite disappointed to not be able to run it um, in its usual capacity this summer. Yeah. Um, I know you served as a board member for NCS. So how do you think this period will affect the future of NCS, DOV, um, other big national programs? And you talked about not letting the pandemic go to waste. So could you even see it having some positive effects? I think it's a great question. And I've been on the National Citizen Service Board this morning and you've got Brett, who is now chairing National Citizen Service coming on on Thursday. Um, I mean, I think, what do I think? I think that we have got a real opportunity this summer to see how much we can build kindness and connection online. And I think actually some of the most ingenious of you are finding really clever ways to learn together, even though you're not physically in the same space. If you think of the numbers of young people who in some communities have had great education online, and their families have been absolutely with them every step of the way. And in other communities, they haven't. There is going to be a massive need to catch up, both in confidence and in curriculum and in connections. And it does seem to me that National Citizen Service and DOE will have a large number of 16, 17, 18 year olds who would have been spending their time in a camp on a activity uphill down day or whatever. And I think there are probably ways in which those young people could be now spending their time, which all of us are learning a lot about how you run the quizzes or the bingo nights or the <laughs> dress up evenings or the beauty parades or you know whatever. I think there are ways in which particularly getting older people to influence and support younger people. If you think about it, large numbers of 11 year olds who are primary school kids will arrive in your secondary school having not been on any sort of walk around the, even the school grounds. You know, life came to an end in school terms in that primary on March the 15th it may well be that the next time they go to school is in early September to a secondary school that they've never met, don't know anything about the teachers. You know, I would be saying to DOE NCS, right, let's get the school population together. Let's make a really funny video about what you can expect when you arrive as a newbie shrimp into this school. And these are some of the characters and these are the things that are fun and this is the best course to do. And, you know, I just think there's a lot we could be doing, but it requires the innovation and clever brains of you lot to think, what would you do? Welcome to our school. How do we run this? So I think you've got a lot of opportunity on this. So it's maybe using those platforms to sort of <coughs> try and do other important things. Exactly. It's, it's very interesting you talked about the 11 year olds because actually me and the rest of my year are in a similar position where we're going off to uni next year and will likely be starting online or at least joining somewhere that we've had very little experience of. Yeah. Well, what exactly are all the 
scouts, guides, D of ears, what uni do you hope you're going to? Uh, well, um, an art foundation course likely next year, but so art school somewhere. Uh, well, there you are. What are the art schools doing uh, to welcome you in to, to start to talk? Or what are the unis doing? What are the colleges doing? You know, I think there's, I think with enough energy amongst the young, which I think we've got, I mean, I've got one or two young living in my house at the moment. They seem to spend most of the night on house party. Uh, and I keep saying, right, well, should we have a social action house party? Let's, you know, just as you're doing tonight, what are the things we've learned? What will make the difference? How can we help? I don't know, a 16 year old who's really scared, he's not gonna, he's gonna get the GCSEs that his teachers think he should have got. He thinks he's got better grades than that. He hasn't got good enough grades, therefore, to go on to college or to go to wherever. How are we going to pick individuals up like that? Who's going to do that? And 18-year-olds who are going on to a uni could really take quite a role in mentoring and supporting. So I think we've got to make an absolute plus point out of this. It may be that by halfway through August, there could be some limited connections and communities coming together but I think NCS is uh, planning for an online operation and we're going to learn a lot and that's you know as I keep saying to my daughter whose wedding has been cancelled on Saturday and she's you know I was robbed mum I should have been walking down the aisle at this moment now is the moment of my first dance and I said well it is, it's very tough on this generation but let's go back to the VE day generation. Some people waved their other halves off in 1939 and didn't see them again till 44. And they were very, very changed people. We just about managed to cope with eight weeks without <laughs> too much nightmare in some places. For some, it's been very, very tough. So I look forward to seeing, I have no doubt that NCS uh, Jewish lads and girls will be able to run a more impressive operation than anybody and anything at all I could do in your support to learn what you're going to do I long to do that you got that Neil I'll be there handing you <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I think that one thing that is just amazing is the positives that will come from this obviously now people have got potentially a negative mindset but there are so many positives that will hopefully come out of the situation that we can look forward to and we can hope for that will just make it a lot better so now we have a question from eris hi eris hi what advice do you have for young people wanting to start a career in the charity sector my main advice always would be uh to get the experience in the charity sector the charity sector is absolutely screaming all the time in my experience and you're part of something which is very close to it uh for people who will help them volunteer for them engage with them use your skills of whatever you're great at if you're a fantastic mathematician go and uh help look at some of the things you can do on the financial side if you're a great technology buff go and help get the Twitter work going, whatever it is. I think there are lots and lots of opportunities for young people in charities. 
I think there are some great opportunities to start your own campaign. I was knocked out the other day by meeting the 11 year olds who'd started Kids Against Plastic as part of their uh, passion on climate change. So get the experience. Uh, find two or three people who work in the charity sector that you're interested in and probably the charity sector will be about the cause that you care about what is the thing you most want at this moment it may change over life you most want to make most difference to and if that's about how do we help dyslexic young people or if that's about loneliness and old people or if that's about people in wheelchairs who don't have the money to get the sort of wheelchair which would make the difference to what they do whatever the cause is try and do a bit of a research into what the charities are into all of that and then i'm a great believer in write a letter to the chief executive of that charity saying i'm so impressed by your website on x i would really love to support on y I'm thinking of going to do this type of course at college or at uni or whatever, but I'd really love to find some opportunities to come and work shadow you. Could I come and spend half a day with you? Could I be your uh, time management clock for a day? I'll write down exactly what you're doing all day. And at the end of the day, I'll help you perhaps see how you're wasting your time as opposed to using your time. So use some skills that you've got and just walk alongside it and i think interestingly i remember when setting up the i will campaign i with rania morandos who's the great chief executive she and i interviewed about 25 of the cleverest teach firsters we got and we said how did you decide that you were going to come and be of practical action in the service of others in the education system. And every single one of them came back to an experience working on a charity, caring about a cause, engaging other people in that cause. And it made one realize that, you know, you, you can never start too young. And where families work together, the evidence is that uh, when families are engaged in this, young people start even earlier than if their teachers engage them. So there are organizations like Charity Works who run internships into charities. I don't think the charity sector itself is good enough at organizing opportunities and pathways for internships. They seem to be uh, in too many cases not really well enough organized but i think you can do quite a lot on your own uh setting off into it and if i could be of help areas when you're looking for the charity let me know yeah so thank you so much Ares, for that question and thank you again for your answer so there were some great great questions there if you do have any more anyone watching this you can email them quickly or put them in the chat and we will try and get them answered at the end so we've just got a couple more questions from me now <laughs> so you joined us in 2014 when prince edward and the chief rabbi helped um start evolve the jlgb youth volunteering and skills initiative and now five years later we are fortunate that it's backed by the i will match fund 
though JLGB strive to ensure that all opportunities are that we have are on faith, youth and inclusion friendly, what other issues facing young people today do you think being involved in social action can help with? Great question. I mean, the I Will campaign's always been agnostic about what young people believe the causes are. If I was uh, your age, looking at what are the causes that are going to matter most to the world, I'd certainly be picking up the sustainability of each one of us, the ways in which we manage our footprint on the planet and the ways in which civil society, organisations, schools, businesses, how we manage uh, the long-term health of the, of the world, really. And I suppose this pandemic eight-week put a comma in our lives has made that so clear, hasn't it? As you see the pollution come down, you see the CO2 numbers come down, you see the the effect on transport and it's a really interesting cause i think now about do we just go back to normal and are there ways in which young people particularly can say okay we're going to run a walking bus with that primary school we will pick up and walk or bicycle because I think the bicycle lanes will be there for some time. We will do things different in the way in which we, we get to and fro from our schools or we manage our energy or we take, take whatever the cause is or the part of the cause. But I think, for me, that is going to be where the power and influence and passion of young people really really needs to be harnessed i of course i agree about inclusion of course i agree about dignity and respect and integration all vital parts of society uh and you've done a fantastic job on much of that but i think for me it would probably be around climate and sustainability and the sustainable development goals definitely so we may unfortunately have to wait until lockdown is over to volunteer face to face again. And I, for one, had plans to volunteer with Jamie, the mental health charity, for my work experience, Good. which unfortunately I've now missed that as well. So we've had a big hit in terms of volunteering face to face. And this is Judge Me Virtual, is one way that myself and others have been able to keep that volunteering up. But what tips and advice would you give to charities that aren't? used to working with young volunteers um, and how what skills do you think that young people currently have that charities aren't yet harnessing well i think i think the real transformation for me has been watching some big charities who signed up to the i will campaign in the very early days where i think we in the end had about a thousand pledges from organizations about what they would do to involve young people and the cynic said, oh, typical, you know, they put any name to anything that they think uh, they'll get a bit of PR on it. And I just watched what some of those charities did. And the ones I really love are the uh, Canals and River Trust, 
who had done the analysis of a business case for them, which was the average age of lock keepers opening the locks for everybody's barges to go through, was about the equivalent of the 99-year-old that was on the programme last week. They were very, very old workforce, and nobody had quite taken in that actually, you know, 10 years' time, there would be nobody who understood how to twirl the handle on the river and the canal. And they set off very, very purposefully to engage young people. And when they said, well, why have we not got more young people involved? You know, some old codgers said, oh, well, because, you know, they drown in the canal. And you say, well, surely that's why we've got a bloody canal in order to teach them to canoe or to swim or whatever the issues were. And you now look at the River and Canals Trust, they have got the most tremendously impressive senior board, absolutely peopled with young people. And when you say, what's the skills of the young people? Sometimes it's about skills, but the main skill is that young people see it different because they see it through their young eyes. They don't see it through 50 years of, you know, boring old experience. They see it in a quite different and fresh way. And that's why for me, only 2% of all trustees on charities in Britain are under 25. I mean, that is absolutely appalling. That means that the vast majority of charities have no idea what their future donors, their future workforce, their future influencers, their future connectors, what they think about that cause or how they can better help and influence that cause. So for me, I think you need, as ever in the charity sector, to really look 10 years down the pipe and see where will you be if you haven't involved the next generation who are going to shape how the charitable mainspring works. They're going to decide how they're going to donate. As it is, we can hardly get anybody any longer to put cash in a bucket because nobody's got any cash. But all sorts of different ways in which young people see the world are highly relevant to the charity sector, to the business sector, to the government. One of the good things this government has done is they have now got youth advisory boards on climate change in DEFRA. Thank God, taking a bit of time. The youth groups in the health service, led by another marvellous Gabby, uh, are beginning to really make some impact. I was sad that when the announcement came out of we want, you know, an absolute volunteer army, we said, but they've got to be over 18. And I'm not very impressed that, as far as I can see, this government has not yet really had a proper conversation with young people about the impact of COVID on them, on their education, on their life chances, and not done enough to see young people as the solution, not the problem. So I hope all of you will be getting hold of your MPs and saying, come along now, what are you at? Because it's a, it's a very, very short-sighted in my book, uh, view of life, not to take account. You don't have to do what young people say. You, in my book, do well to give young people quite an influence on 
how they influence what we're doing and how we're doing it, certainly how they're doing it. But I think the charity sector is doing well in some cases and not well in others. And we need to help support them to do better. The youth sector, I think, has really got the message. A lot of young leadership, a lot of young trustees. The Youth Futures Foundation, which I've just joined, has got two fantastic youth trustees. Step Up to Serve, the I Will campaign, has got equal numbers of young people and older as the trustee board. And it's been transformational for us. Definitely. That 2% that you mentioned is way, way too low. I think JLGB is amazing for the opportunities that it's giving to all the young people. And we have our first JLGB um, youth trustee in Jordana Price, who has been on here a couple of times as well. And she has transformed JLGB for us and for the young people. Yeah. So do you think that the role of schools is in like, encouraging enough youth social action? Or do you think that teachers should be prioritising social action more than what they're doing at the moment? Or are they being asked a bit too much already? Well, I think pre, pre the pandemic, I was reasonably hopeful that the last, I mean, you know, you have to all the time say, we've had five secretaries of state for education since the I Will campaign began. So we started with Gove, then we had Nicky Morgan, uh, then we had Justin Greening, then we had Damien Hines, now we got Gavin Williamson. So it is difficult on that sort of revolving door to get a real strength of leadership on something as so important as young people's involvement in communities. But we had made some progress, schools and great influencing by great head teachers and great teachers had made some influence and just before the last election we got through the something called the character benchmarks which were to support schools in identifying what were the four or five key things they could do to help young people develop their personalities and character which schools could do and one of the important points to remember is that in the poorest communities, teachers have a disproportionate effect on the importance of social action for young people, uh, i.e. teachers can have a very great influence. 75% in the poorest places say, if you're a young person, <coughs> that you are more influenced by your teacher than you are by other things in that community. So getting teachers supported to support young people is a really critical part of what we've been striving to do in the I Will campaign. And you can see some great work by, you know, I was up in an amazing Muslim school in Blackburn the other day, one of the star academies, listening to 200 girls in the sixth form explaining to me how they'd managed to get 44,000 plastic bottles out of the school and replace them all with glass bottles owned by each individual young person. An amazing piece of eco work and that had been entirely driven by young people but undoubtedly the teachers who were running something called the eco MBA or something 
uh, had helped to make this part of the curriculum, part of the science curriculum particularly. So there are tremendous beacons of excellence. There are some chains of schools, which probably the Jewish schools are one of the most outstanding. There is the beginning of some great work in primary schools. And the Church of England has done a lot with the I Will Fund, actually, to try to learn what primary schools in rural communities are doing well. And there is, I think, encouraging work by Amanda Spielman and the Ofsted Review, where now what, I mean, there's an, as ever an argument about this, but inspectors are now looking to see what is the evidence of the personal development that has been provided in that school to mm. young people. And if schools are persuaded of the importance of young people's involvement in, in their community, there is, I think, a lot of opportunity to use the personal development bit of Ofsted as the way of encouraging and supporting it. So I am, as ever, an optimist. I think there are some great things going on. I think this pandemic will change how schools are seen in their community. And we need to hold very, very firmly to the relationship between schools and youth organizations in my book. I think they are, I think we may be trying to run too many separate bits of infrastructure for the youth sector, the school sector, other bits of society. We need probably to do more to join it up. Definitely, there. Yeah. So many te so many teachers can be inspirational. Personally, I've had inspirational teachers, and having more of them on board with teaching social action and getting the youth involved with it would have such a larger impact. And we can get that two percent up a lot, lot higher in the coming years. And there are so many adult volunteers at JLGB, at the Boys Brigade, the Girls Brigade, the Cadets, Fire Cadets, Sea Cadets, at all the youth organisations that there are. Their adult volunteers are so inspiring. I personally don't think they get enough credit for what they do. Yeah. They, they shape the youth and that's, that's their job and that's what they've done for me, for so many of my friends, for so many people around the world in a youth organisation. Yeah. These adult volunteers have such an impact. Yeah. So a more personal question for you. What gives you hope for the future? We've got this pandemic going on at the moment, but what positives do you think will come out of this personally for you and for everyone else during this time? Well, it's a great question. I suppose uh, whenever one goes through these sorts of uh, appalling crises, and I don't think we've ever had anything like this in Britain, in my lifetime. I think one is so touched and moved by, by actually how similar we all are. I've got a marvellous niece who I'm very, very proud of, who's just become an F1 doctor and has worked so hard in the last six years to get through and was having the most marvellous time in Australia working in the Melbourne Children's Hospital, which is, you know, one of the top hospitals in the world, just as the pandemic struck. And of course, it's striking, striking, going to strike in Australia as well as in the UK. But she got a very good note from her medical school saying, 
of course, if you want to stay in Australia, that must be your absolute right to do that. But we're going to need every doctor we can find. And although you're three months before you're actually fully qualified, if you will come back, we will try to find a place where you will make a difference and learn a lot. And she is now in St. Thomas's Hospital in the communication team, which is holding the iPads to the faces of those in the COVID wards, of whom, as we know, 50% will recover and 50% will die. And she is holding the tablets for them to speak to their relations and for their relations to be able to speak to their, her or them. And she's fully kitted up in PPE, so she's in the most enormous great masks and breathing and so on and so forth. So she can, she says what's so difficult is you can hardly see their faces and they can hardly see yours. But you can listen, and that's what you're there to do, to support them. And she says what's so extraordinary is that whether you are holding a iPad to a very rich banker who is dying or a very poor bus driver who is dying, what they say in their last words and their love for their family and their wish to communicate is the same whoever you are. And I suppose in a way this terrible crisis has made us realise that all of us you know, need someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And if we have more humanity with each other, more understanding, generosity, and trust of each other, and that comes out of this crisis, as well as all the other things that you've rightly raised on your great questions, then the death of what may be, I suppose, in the end, 40,000 people in Britain will not have died in vain if we become a better society and never, never forget the sacrifice that they made. And some of that, when they do the analysis, will be because we weren't well enough prepared, we hadn't got the proper risk analysis, but in the end, we could only do what we could do. But I think for young people who've lived through this, in a way, this is, you know, this is the equivalent of your war and you won't ever forget it. And by the sorts of questioning and interest tonight, you will be a better community and a better society than we might have been before we went into it. So I suppose that's my hope, <laughs> is that something is, remains of all of this tragedy that some good will come from it definitely like you were saying with when unfortunately you have people of such different lifestyles and different classes unfortunately passing away their last words are will always be the same and we are all equal underneath accents skins hair like anything we are all we're all the same species we're all human and we all understand how important it is especially now we understand the importance of loving and of caring and of talking to each other yeah. so yeah you've highlighted that so so well for everyone watching this i'm sure they can take so much so finally you've been absolutely incredible finally we always ask our guests to nominate um, or ask another celebrity or community leader to be a future guest on our program 
and help entertain the children and the young people that are stuck at home. If you've enjoyed tonight's experience, and we really, really hope you have, is there anyone that you would like to nominate to come on our show? We've had some, some pretty high profile guests. Do you think you could convince the Prince of Wales to do it? We've done a lot of video messages lately. Um, who, who do you think you can get to nominate? Well, now, this is a really interesting question. Who would be fun? Have you had Julia Neuberger? I don't think we have, no. Well, she's not, as it were, a film celebrity, but by goodness, she knows her onions in this whole area. And she, interestingly, I rather think, is chairing one of the big health authorities in London. So why don't we have a shot and see, uh, send her an email tonight and say, would you do it? And you then can all decide whether you want to ask her or not. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'd suggest Julia, and I might think about one or two other people as well for you. Really thank, fantastic. Thank you very, very much. We will see what we can do. So <laughs> thank you very much for joining us tonight. These are really difficult times, and for all, the impact on youth charities is immense. Um, but thanks to JLGBs, I will match funding. We are here each night, hopefully making a difference during this time. And we hopefully provide that much needed lifeline for the children and young people that we support. So thank you all for what you've done for us, for always banging the drum and for flying JLGB with whatever hat you're wearing, for being such brilliant guests tonight. Be well, and we hope to see you again very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been an absolute honour and pleasure. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Neil, thank you very much indeed for thinking of it. Really good. And I think you've got a long-term future on radio presenting, my boy. Really good. Thank you very much. So that is it for tonight. Thank you to everyone for tuning in this evening and yet again being part of the incredible history that we are creating. Thank you so much for listening to Jersey Virtual. We are live. Take care of yourselves and stay safe and we shall see you again soon.